Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing our favorite reads of 2022, one of <laughs> my personal episode. favorite episodes of the whole year. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, this is favorite reads, not best of the year, which I think is a distinction that we always try to make, that these are really the books that we just loved reading for various right. reasons, which we'll talk about. But um, there were definitely some books that didn't make this list of 10 that I would consider excellent books. They just weren't necessarily my favorite reading experiences. Right. And it's also anything we read this year, regardless of whether it was published this right. year. Right. Yes. Because some people limit it to publication year. Right. Uh, so generally, Anne, how was this year's crop of reading for you? How did, when looking back, how did you feel? I thought it was good. There were there were definitely plenty of books that I had to fill out a top ten, um, and lots of things that I had to decide between, which is always a good problem to have. I did feel like I like last year. I had three books that I would say these are my favorite books this year, and these I proselytized about basically <laughs> of of telling everyone they had to get their hands on them and I just I just wanted to reread them over and over again and I didn't necessarily have that experience this year um, I didn't it's not as though I didn't love these books but I just maybe they weren't quite as um, tailored to my particular loves mm -hmm. is, is maybe a distinction but I don't know some I don't know about that it just it just wasn't quite as like an all-consuming right love of of these books but that isn't saying that they're not books i uh, i'll keep all of these books probably um and i i loved them to bits but just it was just a little bit of a different emotion i would mm -hmm. i would say this year so i didn't necessarily have a favorite book that like if i really had to pick one i probably could come up with a favorite book but it's it isn't just a um I know this to be true. Sort right. of. I'm talking about this in very religious ways. I'm realizing <laughs> <laughs> I have a deep and abiding testimony of these books. <laughs> How about you? What did What did you think? Especially because this is your first year of not being on. Right. I had so. an excellent reading year. So oh, good. I don't know how much of it is just the sheer fact that I got to choose whatever I wanted to read. So everything had this glimmer of happiness about it because <laughs> it was just like I get to read whatever I want but, which is actually not true in January I was still reading for our committee right. but uh, after that I got to read whatever I want but yeah I had a really really strong reading year I had a hard time limiting it to 10 if I could have talked about 20 or 25 or 30 books I I would have because there were just some really amazing books and it was um, they were good for different reasons, good for different kinds of readers. I could have talked about many more that were among my favorites that I had to limit it to 10 today, but I had a really, really strong reading year. Yeah. And I think I was just better at if I picked something up and I wasn't into it, I just set it aside. Yeah. And so that helps self-select Then at the end of the year, when you're looking back, it's like, well, these were all great. And it's because I wasn't sticking with the ones that I right. wasn't finding great. So, right. yeah, I had a really a really good reading year, I think. And I do have a favorite of the year, like a clear standout. But after that, I mean, there are a couple like tip-top ones, but mm -hmm. 
I don't have a ranking per se. Like they were all books that I would recommend over and over and over. We tend to go back and forth on doing a, we just love these 10 books versus sometimes we do a ranking. Yeah. And I'm always like, it kind of feels like it happens organically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was putting my list together, the upper half of my 10, so like five to 10, they're definitely not in any sort of order. They were just kind of in the order that I was thinking of them. Mm -hmm. And then as I got closer to one, I sort of was trying to think about putting them in order. But even then, like two, three, four, five could all move around depending on what mood I'm in. But depending on the day, like they weren't, they're not hard and fast rules about this is my second favorite book and this is my third favorite book. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and I've loved seeing, I follow a lot of other people who read on Instagram and loved seeing everybody else's top 10 or some people are doing top 22 I've seen Mm -hmm. and it's giving me lots of good reading ideas for 2023. Um, So I can't wait to hear what yours are. Yay. I'm excited to hear about how five of your 10 are Christmas romances. Ah! (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny? It would be so funny. Well, it's interesting. So before before we get going, there's a book that I just read two weeks ago, I think. I didn't include it in my top 10, but I really, really liked it. And part of it was just I felt like it was too recent of a read to include that Mm, it hadn't. A lot of these books that I am going to be talking about are books that have stuck with me for multiple months since I have read them. Mm -hmm. So I do think the December books kind of get short shrift because I don't know that I have the perspective on them to say, yes, this is a favorite of the year. I just don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Well, one of mine is a book I finished this week. So. I oh, okay. Am... But yeah, I, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking to myself, well, but you could also have your favorite books already in your mind from the whole year, and then you read something that blows them out of the water, and you right. be like, oh, this is one of the best books I've read this year. So right. yeah, I can see it kind of going either way. Yeah. Like for this one, it would have been, if it did make it theoretically into my top 10, you know, in a month or two, it would have been a the upper end it wouldn't have been my favorite book so mm-hmm. yeah anyway just kind of interesting, interesting. okay yeah. all right and i do we do i feel like need to apologize <laughs> we have both been sick uh, for weeks at this point and you might hear some of that in our voices so i apologize yeah. there's we we had to delay recording a little bit to try to allow for getting well and this is where we are so yeah we didn't it's... want to wait any longer because <laughs> our bodies are not are not allowing it. We no. can we can wait and wait, but <laughs> at this point, I don't ever feel like I'm going to be healthy again. This is just the status of my life. Yeah, as awful cold or or whatever I had, whatever yeah. ick I had was just awful. Uh-oh. Anyway, all right, hit me with your first one. Okay, so the first book I picked is The Ballad of Perilous Graves by Alex Jennings. And I'm going to officially say that this is, well, officially possibly is my favorite (laughs) book of the year. (laughs) So how's that for you? Um, It's definitely the book that impressed me the most. And so I think that overall, it's the one that that will uh, maybe not stay with me in terms of plot and stuff. But I think I recommended it the most this year. So, So I think that that's the my indicator. So 
it is about a city named Nola that is an alternate alternate version of New Orleans and it's controlled by nine songs of power but they have escaped and it's essential that they be returned because without them Nola will fall will fall to the storm which is sort of a stand-in for Katrina and there are three children that have been tasked to save the city there is Perilous Graves the the um the boy of the title mm-hmm. uh, he goes by perry he has a little sister named brendy and then they have a neighbor girl named peaches who has unnatural strength and they're tasked by the adults in their lives to to find the songs but they're working against a truly terrifying uh, villain he's a haint named stagger lee and it's it's just a, a really really uh not scary book exactly but it's it's he's a really evil guy uh-huh. so um the city is full of zombies and walking graffiti and death cabs and it just drips atmosphere and you know i'm always here for atmosphere that's my favorite thing so the author has said that he was challenged to write the blackest fantasy possible and so this is the the result and i just thought that was a really cool starting point it's a debut novel and somehow it's just unbelievably confident i i was really shocked to learn that it was a, a debut and um it's it as you're reading it you sort of realize halfway through that a lot of things you had assumed about the book are not actually true and the way that that's incorporated um i don't think that's a spoiler by any means because it's it's done so well so i just loved it it's on the literary side of fantasy and i'm not generally a huge fantasy reader but this really worked for me um it's a really complicated book, so there's a, a lot of stuff that I'm not describing in it. But if you're a fan of of the books of N.K. Jemisin or uh, Marlene James, then this is right in that same um, that same category. So that is the Ballad of Perilous Graves by Alex Jennings. That sounds good. That I don't know that that's for me, but that sounds good. Yeah, I don't know that Maybe. how you'd feel about yeah. it. All right, my first one is Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. Ooh, and I know you didn't like this one quite as well as I did. But I did like it. Okay, I just okay. didn't like it quite as well. Yeah, so I thought it was just utterly delightful. And this is one, we've talked about this before, but like the mood you're in really impacts how much you like a book or the reading experience. And this one just hit me at just the right time. I wanted something kind of lighter and funny and heartwarming and all these things. And so it just really hit me in the right way. So... I think I've talked about this book already in the podcast, so I won't spend too much time on the details. But it's basically about Nora, who is a screenwriter, who mostly what she has done in her career is write scripts for Hallmark-type movies. It's called something different in the book, but it's basically Hallmark Channel movies. But she's gone through a divorce, and that inspired her to write a totally different kind of script. And it got picked up by a major uh, film, you know, film studio, and they ha- are making this big budget movie out of, or a big budget, but like a big mainstream movie. It's mm-hmm. not going to be on this cable channel. So they shoot part of the movie at her house because there are several very important scenes in, in the script that take place. And she lives at this 100-year-old house, and it has this, I think it's like a tea room not a team right. it's like a like little a, like out outbuilding that's very that's special yeah so they shoot part of it there just just for a few days and so they do the shooting and it's all very exciting and then the whole crew leaves except the main actor who plays the male lead 
stays <laughs> and he he winds up on Nora's porch and he's drinking tequila or something and he says he just needs a break so he asks her to let him stay there for seven days he'll pay her a bunch of money for renting out a room for him so that he can stay and Nora agrees and then they find that once he's around he's not the same person that his image is that she had of him in her mind and and they they hit it off and I thought it was just such a sweet book it like I said it was funny that the writing was really witty and Mm -hmm. just a charming lovely kind of a book and I know that you mentioned a couple of things that that were reasons why you didn't love it love it and I would agree with those but it was like I was so caught up in liking the story that those Mm -hmm. things didn't bother me about some miscommunication or, or lack of having a conversation and mm-hmm. uh, could resolve things. So, and I, I, I really liked the way some of the Hallmark movie tropes were played with. And mm-hmm. um, I just enjoyed all the characters. Like every character in the book I enjoyed reading about. I, I have to say romances weren't always hitting the mark for me this year, but this one really did. So that yeah. is uh, Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. Yeah, that that one I I liked that it's a later in life yes. um romance and that it's and actually the the two romances I'm going to talk about in in my list all of them have in common that they sound very rom-commy and are not actually ultimately rom-coms right. like that like the setup of that book is so goofy right. but then that's not really the way the romance develops and so yeah. it's not full of hijinks and and uh like pratfalls and stuff yeah it's, i just read a book that's coming out uh in 2023 that's uh second chance romance and it's with a character who's 58 and i really liked that so i wonder if that's mm-hmm. a trend of slightly more mature yeah heroines not the ones in their 20s yeah yeah and not just in their 30s of, right right like that seemed for a while to be the look yeah. we're not just having right. young women but then you're like 30s is pretty young yeah now now that i'm not now that, that i'm not in my 30s really anymore young. that feels real young yeah. <laughs> um okay are you ready for me i am ready one? for your next one okay it is babel by rf kwang and uh i misspoke the uh, subtitle when i talked about this last week it is actually babel uh-huh. or the necessity or the necessity of violence an arcane history of the oxford translators revolution that's a long title. <laughs> it's not the title that's on the cover. That is a long title. Um, but I, like I said, I talked about this, I think just yeah. last episode is what I was reading this week. And I ended up just absolutely loving it. It took me forever to get through because it's a pretty, um, it's a really long book. And it's also just a pretty dense book. But it was all enjoyment for me. So it takes place in the 1820s uh, and 30s. And it's about a young orphan boy that doesn't have a name in China. And he is renamed Robin Swift and taken back to England by sort of a a mysterious professor named Richard Lovell. And he is going to be trained to attend the Royal Institute of Translation, which is nicknamed Babel. And that is the center of silverworking, which is the um, sort of magical means of giving power to, to silver. And they take foreign words and inscribe them onto the silver to capture the lost 
the lost meanings that that don't come through translation and that these pieces of silver are what support the british empire in their in its quest for power so while robin is at oxford he he loves the studies that he's doing he loves everything about being there but he's also introduced to the hermes society which is a secret society pushing back against the silver working system and how it exploits foreign students and and how the silver how how silver itself and the translation industry are ravaging other countries and so he has to decide which side he's on so this for me combined the fun of a magical school book with dark academia which i love and also a social reckoning of colonialism which i I find really fascinating so it gave me a lot to think about um, and hit all kinds of intellectual and emotional buttons and i just was all in for for the entirety of reading this and that is babel by rf kwong i was just discussing with jeremy today whether or not i was going to read that you should i know i'm going to it's just big it's big (laughs) (laughs) make sure you do some arm or some wrist exercises before you get in yeah i think i might have an advanced copy yeah do that one i could read so all right, my next one is The Verifiers by Jane Peck. This one I've talked about, but it was months and months ago, so I'm going to discuss it again. It's about Claudia, who works at a company called Veracity, which is basically a detective agency where somebody who is online dating can use this agency to vet the people that they're meeting online to make Ooh, sure gimme. that they, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> to make sure that they are who they say they are. The book opens with Claudia meeting a new client, Iris Latriste, who wants them to verify the identity of someone who she has matched with, but she actually hasn't met them yet, which is a little bit unusual. Generally, this is a service that is provided once somebody has gotten to know somebody they've met online and that, you know, wanting to make sure they're telling the truth. Right off the bat, Claudia gets her little spidey senses are tingling and Claudia is an avid mystery reader. She has been for her whole life. So she just seems kind of primed to find reasons that something, you know, might be off, that there might be a little bit of a mystery. Well, then less than two weeks later, after Claudia meets this client, the client ends up dead. So Claudia thinks, Something is wrong here. What is going on? And decides to start investigating. I loved this book. Like this was one that felt unique and interesting. And like it brought something kind of new to the publishing landscape. Mm -hmm. And I thought the writing was, it's a really dry humor that Claudia has and lots of commentary about people and dating and all of those things and I just thought it felt very current Mm -hmm. because of of the dating scene and so I loved it like I loved reading it um it sort of goes into directions that were unexpected when I started the book so I definitely got mixed reviews from what I could see online on Goodreads but I really loved it it's called The Verifiers by Jane Peck sometimes Goodreads is an idiot (laughs) Like, there's so many good books that have terrible, terrible ratings on there. Yeah. It... Well, and sometimes I think what happens is, and I actually have a good friend that borrowed, because I got this, I do book of the month, and I had gotten this from book of the month, and I lent it to a friend of mine. And when I gave it to her, I said, I don't know if you're going to like this. Mm-hmm. I just have a feeling you're not going to like it. Because it's very clever in a way that it knows it's being clever, kind of, if that makes sense. And I thought, I don't think she's going to like that. I think she's going to find that a little bit Mm -hmm. off-putting. And she didn't. She didn't end up liking the book. So 
But I thought it was, I just thought it did something kind of interesting with the mystery genre. And the whole thing is that Claudia has this mystery series that she really, really loves. So everything she does, she'll tie back to the books of the series and think, oh, well, the main character in the mystery series would do this next. So that's what I'm going to do next. And I don't know, as a reader, it's just, it's kind of fun, those sorts of things. That's uh, one of the books I'm going to talk about is kind of does not that, but is a meta mystery. And right now I'm just very pro meta mystery because mysteries don't like by their structure, they can't change very much. And so, I mean, that's true of lots of, of genres, but some, some more than others, but, um, but I'm very excited by mysteries that are trying to sort of push the right. genre. So, but I'll talk. I, I have to read that book in the next couple of weeks, and I'm super, I was super stoked did, yeah. for it. Yeah. Okay. Up next is Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Hey. She is very quickly becoming a favorite author because her characters and her relationships with within the character like arcs are just done so well. And I don't know. I. I this she she's going to make i mean some of her books are not romances but some of them are and i think that she just hits that that perfect spot for me of of what i like in a romance so it's about a new york city literary agent named nora and she goes on vacation with her sister to a town called sunshine falls uh north carolina and while they're there she runs into a rival book editor named charlie who is actually from sunshine falls and he's there visiting his family and they hate each other and they keep getting thrown together and the attraction builds. This is nothing new. But I loved that it's including and also commentary comment also commenting, I can't speak, on uh Hallmark movie tropes. And it's just done in a really clever way. So it, it felt sort of meta to me, but not completely. But ultimately what, what sold it for me is that the relationship between the couple is just really fantastic and they're two damaged people who have to find healing through each other and then ultimately find happiness with each other. And I just, like, I think I cried several times listen, or, uh, reading this. Mm-hmm. I, I just really enjoyed it. It is somewhat steamy, um, if I'm remembering right. I don't tend to remember things like that very well, but I'm pretty sure it's steamy. But it is, um, it was it was just really satisfying. The The book world elements of it are, are there, plus Hallmark, plus snarkiness like it just it just all worked for me and that is book lovers by emily henry yeah this one would have been in my top 10 too uh, um, but i knew you were doing it so yeah. it freed up a spot in my top 10 uh yeah i loved this one i love how the main character is recognizes that she's the villain in a hallmark movie uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. she's like i'm the girl that gets left so the guy could go back to the small town and fall in love with the sweet hometown girl like right. i just love yeah there's so much about it because she doesn't and and the fact that they don't like i mean i guess this is kind of spoilery but they they don't want her to compromise like, the, the book right. isn't asking her to compromise right for yeah. the things that she loves and yeah. and that was very very appreciated yeah uh, yeah i really like this one too all right my next one is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by gabrielle Zevin. Oh, i'm about to read this one too oh are yeah. you i'll be curious to hear what you think so i am not going to talk about this one too much because first of all i think it's best going into it knowing very little if possible and it's also on literally every single best of the year list i think (laughs) so i don't think this is news to people that this is a good book um but it is about two friends two best friends who meet early in life and then reconnect when they're late teens early 20s i think 
and they end up collaborating and creating a video game that becomes very successful. And this book follows them through several decades of their friendship and their professional relationship as you see what happens after this successful video game. And I really love books that explore how friendships evolve over time. And I also love books that look at things like creativity and ambition. And in fact, there are a couple of books on my my list that that cover this topic. So this isn't the only one. Mm -hmm. And I just think this, this does it really, really well because I think you see the way these characters love each other and are frustrated by each other almost in equal measure in some ways and the way that their relationship changes over time as anybody's would if they met when they were teenagers and and knew each other for decades and especially if they work together. Mm -hmm. So part of why I think this book has really had that impact it has had and has shown up on so many best of the year lists is because It has a pretty unique structure. One of the sections is actually a video game. Like it's the story is told through a video game. Oh, wow. But then it's also very resonant emotionally. There's a lot to the characters and the dynamics and everything. So I think it's just all done really, really well. It's it's well written as well as, you know, a fully formed emotional experience. I will say I'm not a video game person. Um, I've never been much of a video game person and I really, really enjoyed this. So I don't think you need to love video games to appreciate this book. My guess is if you do like video games, that will enhance your reading of it because there are probably things that passed right over my head because I don't know video games. But I wouldn't let the fact that it's about video games deter anyone from reading because it really is a very special reading experience. So that is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. I'm super excited for that one, especially since I have gone on record for hating one of her previous books. And so I, the fact that this one is so is on so many best of lists, I, yeah. I'm very curious about it. So She's a very interesting writer. She has written such a variety right. of books. Yeah. Like the fact that she wrote Young Jane Young and A.J. Fickery in this book, those would be, if you put those in front of me and didn't tell me who the author was, I would say those were right. three different authors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she has a YA novel. Anyway. Yeah. It gives me hope that I'll love this one. I hope you will. Um, okay, next is The Woman in the Library by Solari Gentile. And actually, I'm sorry, I forgot to look up the pronunciation on her uh, last name. So I apologize if I mispronounced that. Um, this is the one I was talking about as uh, a meta mystery that I'm I'm oh, very, okay. very into right now. It's probably my favorite mystery of the year. I go back and forth on that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I really loved this one. It starts in the Boston Public Library and a scream rips through the reading room. And while it's being investigated by security, everyone has to stay put. So there are four very different people seated at the same uh, table who have not talk to each other up to this point but as they're forced to wait they begin to chat with each other and they form a friendship around the mystery and what could have happened and uh they all of course have secrets and they all have reasons that they're there at that particular time um and one of them may have murdered someone we don't know <laughs> it's that's the mystery um and so at the same time there there are alternating chapters where uh an author is writing about the people in the library 
and she is receiving mail from a fan who is commenting on the choices that the author is making. So that's that's where the meta comes in. So between those two perspectives, you have this tension that's building and there's just this kind of general weirdness that ratches up as the, as the book is going along, um, mainly because there's kind of real time commentary about the book as it's going along. And it has this completely unsettling ending that I just adored and I suspect some people will hate. I am not one of those people. I loved it. I it made me want to reread the book as soon as I was done. And that's, that's always a good sign for me. Uh, it felt very much like if you're a fan of Anthony Horowitz, that this would appeal to you because of that sort of commentary on the, the genre itself. And um, I just was very, very impressed by it. And that is The Woman in the Library by Solari Gentile. Yeah, I do want to read that. I think I will. I think that sounds so good. Yeah. The last time you talked about it. Or we talked about it. I don't know if it's on the podcast, actually. Yeah, I don't um, remember these things anymore. I used to. I don't either. It's just all mystery. Yeah. <laughs> all right. My next one is We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman. And this was one of those books that, unlike what I said at the beginning of this episode, as soon as I read it, I thought, this is going to be one of my favorite books of the year. Mm-hmm. Just 100%. I just knew it. It's a pretty short book, actually. I think it's less than 250 pages, but it really packs... An emotional wallop. It is about there, and you should know this going in because this is not going to be the book for you if this does not sound appealing, and I can understand why it wouldn't. Uh, it's about two best friends, Edie and Ash, who uh, have known each other for more than 40 years, have been best friends for more than 40 years, and when Edie is diagnosed with terminal cancer, it is uh, decided among Edie's husband and with Edie's you know, input uh, that she will move to a hospice facility right near where Ash lives. And so that Ash can be the person primarily helping her and being with her at the end of her life. The book goes into why that why that makes the most sense, even though Edie is married. So the book then just follows the last few weeks of Edie's life. uh, And it's all through Ash's perspective, which I've actually heard some criticism of but I think it's very intentional that you don't know much about what Edie is thinking or going through this really is a book about a woman sitting with her her best friend and being with her best friend as she is dying and what that is like both the depth of grief that she feels but also kind of the mundane boring parts of that Mm -hmm. where it's literally just kind of sitting and doing not much Uh, and it really just captured my heart I don't know what else to say it's it shows their friendship beautifully you get little snippets of the past and their friendship and why they are so important to each other and I it's rare that a book will make me laugh and then cry within several pages and this book did Uh, I just thought it was really really beautiful I there's an author note at the end that indicates that the author has been through something similar and I definitely got the impression that it was coming from a place of deep empathy Mm -hmm. uh, for the situation Uh, so I thought it was amazing I've been happy to see some other people put it up at the top of their list of book favorite books of the year 
um, because I feel like it was kind of un- under the radar a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that is We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman. That sounds really interesting. Okay, next is Mika in Real Life by Amiko Jean. And I'm pretty sure I talked about this at one point. Like I said, I used to have a really good memory for when we exactly which episodes yeah. we talked about each book, and I don't anymore. I'm old now. <laughs> um, so it's about a woman named named Mika. She's 35, and her life hasn't really panned out as she expected. She was a promising art student in college, but she now works temp jobs, and she is just constantly disappointing her Japanese mother. And out of nowhere, she gets a phone call from her 16-year-old daughter that she gave up for adoption when she was in, uh, I think, college. And um, her daughter's named Penny, and she wants to connect. Um, The reason for this is that Penny's adoptive mother has died recently, and so she decides that she wants to meet Mika and um, wants to bring her adoptive father, Thomas, along with her. So Mika panics and tells Penny that she is much more successful than she is. She, She basically makes up... Um, the majority of her life and she has to maintain these lies because she just wants Penny to be proud of her she doesn't she doesn't want to, her to feel ashamed of where she comes from um, and then lots of things happen as a result of that which sounds kind of hijinksy but it kind of it isn't really told that way I just loved this I thought it had really great emotional connections between the characters and I felt the connections um, with them myself I really understood the feelings that Mika has of Uh, her life not going as planned and Mm -hmm. still having to make the best of it and she makes a lot of dumb decisions but it's not they're not decisions where you think how could someone be that stupid it's just you make decisions as your life goes along and and Mm -hmm. they don't always work in the way that you think um and so and she's held responsible for her decisions and Mm -hmm. it just I felt was a very responsible uh book emotionally which I sometimes complain about with um with lots of books really (laughs) but i it just really it really hit me the right way so that is mika in real life by amiko jean yeah i i read this book or i listened to the audiobook and i don't think i liked it as well as you did i had some issues with it but i think that i did like that there are consequences for decisions and actions that Mm -hmm. happened which sometimes doesn't happen right yeah. yeah either either there's no consequence or yeah. people just let them off the hook and it's right that's really frustrating for me as a reader and as a person in real life <laughs> <laughs> all right my next one is transcendent kingdom by yad jossie you finally one, read it i know that came out a couple of years ago I was so excited to finally be able to read it yeah. we actually read it in one of my book clubs which is this is a great book for book clubs so if anyone is looking for a title this i highly recommend this one it is about a woman named gifty who is a graduate student and she is studying reward-seeking behavior in mice uh, in an effort to understand addiction in, in humans. Like, what what is it that causes people uh, to, to get addicted to uh, different substances? And, and part of the reason that she has pursued this study is because her brother died uh, from addiction. And consequently, her mother has battled depression ever since. And so Gifty is trying to understand how and why these things happened. And she is a very scientifically minded person. And so she is trying to understand the science behind it to wrap her head around it, basically. One of the things that I like about this book, and I've, I've actually read it in a few other books too, that I think is really interesting is 
How do you uh, grapple with the intersection of science and faith? How do you reconcile two things that might be opposed mm-hmm. of, of how they're, they're going to view a different or a situation? And so for Gifty, her family, she was raised as a Christian and she's trying to understand why these things have happened to her family. They were immigrants to the U.S. and have dealt with a lot of racism and then had these horrible events happen to her family. So she's trying to understand from a scientific point of view. And she has, she has rejected her faith, but in a way that still acknowledges what an important role faith plays in many people's lives, including her mother's and other people. The topic is heavy. I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. heavy. You know, her brother has passed away. Her mother is dealing with depression. Yeah, Jossie is just such a beautiful writer. And the story is so rich in the characterization of the people that doesn't feel maudlin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's it's just deep in these horrible things. Like, it's a very readable, if, if that... If that makes sense, it's a very readable way to approach these very serious topics. And I just thought it was beautiful. And I had read Homegoing, which is a very different kind of a book that takes place over generations and follows all these different people. And this one is much more about just Gifty and then you learn about her her brother and her mother. But it's really about just one person. Um, and she does both things beautifully. So I will read whatever she writes, that is Transcendent Kingdom by Yad Jossi. Oh, you've sold that very well. I mean, I already wanted to read it, but that sounds very, very good. Um, Next is Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Alicia Thompson. And shocker, I have two romances this this time. I know. What has happened? Ah, We've flip-flopped. Yeah. (laughs) That's very weird. Um, So I think the reason is because this is another damaged people help each other yeah. find love or help each other through love and, and ultimately are, are happier for for uh, for having gone through these things, um, which I guess is just my trope because I didn't know ex- that trope existed before this year and I'm into it. So I'm, I'm now a romance reader more than I was before, I guess, because I still read them before a little bit. Um, So the main character is named Phoebe, and she is a PhD candidate who's writing her dissertation on the true crime genre in um, just generally how it how it impacts American culture. And she goes home to Florida to help her brother clean out their father's house um, after he has died recently. And when she's there, she's struggling with some piece of furniture and the next door neighbor, Sam, offers to help. And she's, of course, instantly suspicious because she knows about Ted Bundy and she's not going to be taken in by a helpful guy or a nice guy or a handsome guy. So she doesn't trust him. And she slowly gets to know him and realizes that he is just a nice guy and that um, she needs to work through some barriers that she's put up. And so it goes into why she's put up those barriers in the first place and how she uses true crime to um, sort of support those barriers. And I, 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 gosh, I just love this book. I cried a bunch listening to this one as well. Um, I nominated it in my committee and it didn't go through because, um, well, I don't know why specifically, but I know that some people felt like it wasn't a good rom-com, but I don't think it's supposed to be. The, the cover sort of makes it look like that just because that's how marketing works now, but that's the same as book lovers. It, it looks like mm-hmm. a rom-com. Right. Um, 
it it's to me really similar in tone where you have an acerbic heroine who sort of has built a persona to protect herself and the things that she has to do both to let the hero uh, get to know the real her and also to to just become a, a more settled person for her own in her own right so it it really really worked for me that is love in the time of serial killers by alicia thompson and i feel like if romance is the genre of right now and also true crime yeah they, this is the perfect yeah they sort of have to go together at some point so i loved it Oh, good. I want to read that one. I, I haven't read that yet. My next one is The Crane Wife by C.J. <gasps> Hauser. And, oh. But the one I, that got away from me. I want, oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right it now. <laughs> so this is the only nonfiction book on my list. Not surprising. I don't read a ton of nonfiction. But it is a little bit surprising that a nonfiction book ended up in my top 10, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm I not surprised, though, because this is such her. I mean, I I've only read the one essay, but it's so fantastic. Yeah. So good. I actually had a few, I think three, that I was sort of thinking, oh, any of those could have been my top 10. But this one absolutely took the cake for for me for nonfiction. It is a memoir in essays. um, And I'm pretty sure I talked about that on the podcast before. So plus, it's kind of hard to talk about essays succinctly. So I won't go too much into what they're what, you know, any individual essay, except to say that the title essay, The Crane Wife, was published several years ago in the Paris Review, I think. Yes. And it went viral. And then she put together this this memoir and essays and that that original um, article is in there. And I was if you read that original viral article and it resonated with you, I think you need to run uh, to read this book um, because I think that the rest of the book will just will be just as interesting as that one is because all of the essays ultimately are about love and not just romantic love, but familial love or platonic love, as well as having the courage to make decisions that indicate that you love yourself and that Mm -hmm. you get to do the things that are going to put yourself first instead of, you know, hiding yourself to make other people happy. Each essay is really insightful and reflective. And while it is a memoir, so they're focused on her individual experiences, I think that the themes are really universal for women especially, but people about um, the experiences that we have throughout life and and what those mean to us. So that is The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser. This is this is one that I bought as soon as it came out because like I actually bought it in hardcover because I was so excited about it and I intended on reading it as my like break between judging rounds and then realized I had 70 books I had to read before the end of the round uh, that I had requested and so I never got to it and it's like my my greatest disappointment my my greatest reading disappointment I guess of this year uh, because I was I was pretty stoked about this one because I'm I'm a huge fan of that title essay so I'm really 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 glad that it was one of your favorites yeah so good um, next is Small Angels by Lauren Owen, and this is my gothic pick of the year because uh-huh. I need one every time. It is set in a small English town that I forgot to look up the name of, um, and it's being uh, the town is being protect- protected from an angry ghost by a family who lives at the edge of the woods. The, the whole like setup is near the woods, but but the family lives right on the very edge. And they're the ones that caused the ghost to haunt the area. So it's sort of their responsibility to keep everyone safe as penance for for what 
happened in the past. So a local man named Sam brings his fiance Chloe to be married there and they have some other setup, but then she sees this abandoned church called Small Angels and she's so charmed by it that she decides that's where she wants to get married. And everyone in the town is horrified because this is going to really anger the this malevolent ghost. So through a lot of different things that happen, Sam's sister Kate is uh, there and she ends up having to reunite with her former uh, first love, uh, Lucia, or Lucia, however you pronounce it, um, to protect the couple and the village. And uh, then lots of spooky things happen. <laughs> and so you're, you're seeing the events of the past that led to, to the, uh, this difficult situation that everyone sort of finds themselves in. And, and both the, the very uh, long ago past of, of what happened to cause this haunting along with the ways that these relationships develop together. And so it's really about how, um, which I would kind of argue the, the, that Gothic is always about the way that the past is, is coming back to, um, to correct the mistakes that have happened and um, what, what those, the way, the way that you can really never get past the, the mm -hmm. things that have happened in, in your past. So, um, so I love that and it's just super atmospheric. I love a, a British uh, or an English gothic novel so this was completely right up my alley um it's one that i nominated for the committee and actually went to the final round and so i'm super excited about oh, that exciting. yeah so so fingers crossed on that and that is uh small angels by lauren owen my next one is all my rage by saba tahir <gasps> e, this was also in my top 10 i'm so glad <laughs> yes. that, that it's being talked about so you can help me because i was trying to think of how to describe this book and i i just this book is just, I just have impressions of how much I loved it and was so invested in the characters and stuff that I was like, wait, how do I describe it in a way that's going to make people want to read it? <laughs> because it's got a lot of hard stuff in yeah. it. Uh, so it's about two teenagers, Sal and Nor, who are basically both shouldering more responsibilities than they should be. And the, um, the adults in their life aren't necessarily coming through for them. So Sal's family owns a motel that is struggling and his mother is in ill health and his father is not dealing that very well. He tends to resort to drinking to deal with it. And so Sal is trying to run things on his own, pretty much keep things afloat. And then meanwhile, Noor is working for her terrible uncle at his liquor store and doing everything she possibly can to try to get out of town as soon as she finishes high school. So um, she's applying to colleges, but in secret because she knows that that won't be welcomed um, by her uncle. Um, so again, these two are just taking on more than they should need to as teenagers. Um, and they have been best friends for, for a long, long time, but their relationship is changing. They are having some disagreements um, that are that are impacting their friendship uh, and they're making choices that the other one doesn't necessarily approve of or support um, and the book just basically follows them through their senior year and afterwards um, I think a little bit after yeah I think um, so yeah and it deals with a lot of hard things like I said but it does so in a way that feels true to the lives that these characters are living and it's very realistic it's not done to be sensational or 
exploitative in any way. It's just truly these kids are leading hard lives where they have to make hard choices and deal with hard things. And um, we're just witnessing that as the reader. And I just cared so much about them. I cared so much about what happened to them, cared about their relationship. I cared about their future. I got frustrated with the people in their lives that were making it more difficult for them. And it's just, it's a heartbreaking, beautiful, moving book. I think everybody should read it. It's YA, but truly one of the best books across any age level that I read this year. It's just amazing. So that is All My Rage by Sabah Tahir. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's it's definitely a downer book in many many ways but it it's not ultimately like it's it's worth going through all the things that you have to go through with these characters because they're they're just in terrible situations and so um this is by far my favorite book for the prince this year like if it doesn't win i don't uh, yeah what are they doing (laughs) i mean i haven't read i've read like two other teen books this year but truly this was such a standout yeah we we, my committee has kind of my committee my friends we're not a committee by any means (laughs) our our book club that that uh talks about uh the print or like tries to find the prince winner for the year uh we just have really struggled this year to find things that any of us like except for this one this is this is the one that everyone's just like if they're not they're just like twiddling their thumbs if this doesn't get get the the win so um we'll see what happens we've got another couple months or no we've got like another month month yeah to, until it's announced yeah. okay next is the it girl by ruth ware and i really there so there were two um two sort of thriller or, or suspense novels that i i i went back and forth between it was this one and um wrong place wrong time by a person whose name i can't remember right now uh, but it's very very famous and i ultimately picked those this one because i i just thought that the reveal was really just done in a way that i i was more surprised by and mm-hmm. so i and plus it's like an oxford set things and yeah. i i'm just a sucker for that so um so the the main character is named hannah and she is remembering the group of friends that she had when she attended oxford and the murder that tore them apart she was especially close with with uh with her roommate april and april was everything that hannah isn't she she came from a wealthy family and she's super confident and she's a legacy student and so april is or uh, sorry hannah is just none of those things she's Mm -hmm. she's kind of i think she's actually there on a scholarship and so she just has a very different background so one night um hannah comes home and she finds april has been murdered in their shared dorm room and hannah sees a man running away from the building and based on her testimony he goes to prison years later i think it's i think it's 10 years later she begins to question what she actually saw when a journalist comes and shows new evidence that what she assumed is not actually what happened so within those those 10 years she has married april's former boyfriend and they both begin to rethink the murder and their relationship and just their entire history together uh, this is so my type of of thriller um but it's also and just setting too it's it's just my kind of book but it all i thought that ruth ware also did a really really fantastic job and, and generally i would say this about all of her books she really made me care about the characters and the relationships it isn't just sort of a stock character um 
set up in the way that I can sometimes feel with with uh, thrillers, and mm-hmm. the reveal was really not not surprising in a oh my gosh I can't believe that's how it happened way but it was really satisfying in a way that that didn't feel like it came out of nowhere um all the clues are are there it's just you don't put it together and so that doesn't really happen to me when I read um thrillers I I really enjoy them but often I feel disappointed by them at the end because Mm -hmm. it's never as good of a reveal as the setup set uh, seems to be and this one I, I completely felt like I like it paid off so um, so I really, really loved it. That is The It Girl by Ruth Ware. Yeah, I liked this one too. I don't think it was quite at the top for me because I have read so many similar right, books. Right, it, right. So it didn't. But I would agree that the ending, she really does play fair with the ending in yeah. a way that some thrillers don't. Uh, that Yeah, and she's, I, I will read anything she writes. I love her. She really, she's, she's just so good. Like, yeah. sometimes I read thrillers and I think, are we, aren't we done with these yet? Because yeah. it just feels like it's, uh, cookie cutter slash yeah. um i don't know just just phoning it in essentially right. and and she's just so good and it reminds yeah. me that of, of sort of that feeling of when um like domestic suspense and 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 a psychological suspense first came out of how new and exciting it felt mm-hmm. um it reminds me of that feeling which i i sorely miss so i love it yep i agree all right my next one is Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yay! And I don't think it's very surprising that this made it on my list. <laughs> I love everything Taylor Jenkins Reid's writes, and this was no exception. Uh, I also read it on my honeymoon, so anything you read sitting by the beach is going to be <laughs> even better, I think. The, what, the thing about this book that I think is interesting is that Carrie Soto, the main character, is not a particularly likable person. She is very complex she's frustrating she's kind of prickly she's very single focused um like i think many excellent athletes are but you root for her in spite of all of that like you care about her and you you're rooting for her so in case you don't know what this book is about the main character is a tennis player she was like a world famous renowned tennis player during her career she has since retired and she holds the record for the most wins by a female player in the major tennis tournaments and now at 37 years old this record that she holds is about to be taken by a newer up-and-coming tennis star who is just a couple wins away from from overtaking that record and so carrie soto decides she is going to come out of retirement And she's going to train with her father, who is going to be her coach. And she is going to play the four major tournaments in a year. And she is going to retain her record. She's going to, basically, she theorizes that she will be competing against this up-and-coming tennis player. What I really loved about the book is that much of it at its heart is about the relationship between Carrie and her dad mm-hmm. um, and and his role in her life as her coach and as her father. I really liked that. I think that I thought there was some really interesting commentary about how we view successful women mm-hmm. and what we expect from them compared to what we expect from men who are ambitious or strive to be the best and how that is not necessarily 
equal mm-hmm. uh, of how we look at men versus women. And Carrie is somebody who she wants to win. She wants to compete. And that doesn't always make her, uh, like I said, particularly likable. But I wanted to keep reading about her. And just like in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, there's a lot of tennis in this book, just like there are a lot of video games in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. But you don't need to know tennis to appreciate this book, I don't think. I think she, Taylor Jenkins Reid, does a really good job of describing the tennis in a way that makes it pretty suspenseful reading, oh, actually, yeah. as, you're, as you're reading these tennis scenes without like your heart's needing to, racing. Yeah, without needing it. to know the ins and outs of tennis. Yeah. So that is Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yeah, this was maybe not my top 10, but it could have easily been in my top yeah. 10. It was, I was really happy to see that you were including it because yeah. it was, it was one that I was considering. I really don't think anyone does compelling as well as yeah. Taylor Jenkins Reid. What's interesting is I saw her speak right around the time that this was being released and I had already read it. And so It was really great to sit there and listen to her talk. She writes books that are very entertaining. And she says, like, that is her ultimate goal is to entertain. But that also do include a lot of thought-provoking content Mm -hmm. or things that, like, under the surface as you start reading, it's like, oh, wait, this isn't just some popcorn book that's going to keep me turning the pages. There's more to it. And, and this in particular, there's a lot of, they're like n- newspaper articles and commentary from sportscasters and things like that interspersed throughout the book as sort of the chorus of talking about Carrie and you get a fuller picture of how is she seen through that. And it just seems like, oh, well, yeah, you know, that makes sense. But I don't know, hearing Taylor Jenkins really talk about it is very interesting. Yeah. Like well, it's all very purposeful. Right, right, right. That was one of the the things that we discussed in the committee about this book is some people said, well, I don't know why I should be rooting for her because she's so mm-hmm. frustrating and whether she why does she deserve it any more than anyone else? And I was yeah. like, I think that's the purpose of the that's book the point. that you're, yeah. well, you're and that's to what, question whether she does yeah. or whether, whether does you that think, mean anything? Yeah. Does she deserve it, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if she deserves it. She's going for it. Yeah. All right. Last two. Okay. Um, so next, I realize. No, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two more um, for me, each of us. So yeah. next is The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood. And I apologize that I put all of my British books in a row. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do any like editing of when I started making my notes. So, oh, well. Um, So it is about a a woman named Judith Potts, who is 77, and she's a crossword constructor for the newspaper. And so part of me wanted to include this because this this was the year that I did more New York Times crossword puzzles than I actually read because I got the Ah. app. And that's all I felt like doing for like four months. So I felt this book very, very hard. And she lives along the Thames in a sort of rural part of England. And so she's out swimming one day in the Thames and she sees a murder happen. And because of her age, she isn't believed by the police. So she decides um, she gets in contact through some various activities um, with with two women and they decide to work together to 
solve this murder and one of them is a local victor's victor's vicar's wife mm-hmm. named bex and she's sort of the perfect housewife and then um there's a woman named Susie who is a blue collar dog walker and the three of them are going to solve this murder it's a very standard british murder mystery except that it it's structured in a way that makes you rethink you everything that you you know about the book and it really kept me on my toes and it really surprised me because it is so just the the type of traditional cozy mystery that we we know and love but it it's it's not a meta book either it's just a really good mystery so i i loved it for that that uh side of it i thought it really held up as a mystery but i also really love the friendship between the women because they're extremely different people um, and all three are people who have traditionally been overlooked by society or mm-hmm. assumed to be one way um, and are are only allowed to be that one way. And they even think that about each other. And so they have to grow to trust each other and to see each other as friends and not just as sort of random neighbors. So I especially really liked the portrayal of Susie because you don't see a lot of blue collar workers in mm-hmm. um, mysteries and just generally in in novels so i i appreciated that a lot and that is the marlowe murder club by robert thorogood that sounds fun i have that on my shelf an arc of that i, I want to read that yeah i think you'd like that one a lot all right my next to last one is lessons in chemistry by bonnie garmis yes and this sorry i just said yes i, I yes. figured this had to be there yeah this is so as i talked about at the beginning like the ones here at the top of my or the end of my list are sort of the top of my list so this was truly one of the best reading experiences I had this year. It is about Elizabeth Zott, who is a chemist in the 1960s, but society being what it was in the 1960s, she doesn't have much of a path of opportunity in her career in chemistry. And so through a series of events, she ends up hosting a cooking show that becomes extremely popular and Elizabeth uses this platform that she has to sneak in lessons about chemistry for her primarily female housewife audience. And as she does this, the result is that she starts empowering the women who watch her to think of themselves as smart, capable women with interior lives that are bigger than what others might think of their lives and it is just delightful and there are actually some kind of sad things that happen but overall the lasting impression I had was that just it was so charming and the writing is really zippy or sort Mm -hmm. of like quippy and so it just kept me reading kept me turning those pages the characters are all larger than life but not in a way that makes them cartoons just sort of more memorable than anything else like she has a dog that's very memorable named 630 elizabeth herself is very memorable i didn't have to for every other book that we talked about i had to look up what the main characters names are because as soon as i finished reading a book that just flies out of my head i just cannot remember it but for this one i knew i knew elizabeth Zott. i was like that is who this book is about it was just really fun there was a, a tv show that we watched this year called julia which is about julia child um creating her cooking show and they felt very similar to me so if you like 
The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, or if you happen to watch Julia, this, I think it's on HBO, the show. I think you will love Lessons in Chemistry. I think it's it's a fun read, but it's also got some depth to it and some heartwarming moments, some sad moments, lots of humor. It's just great. It just hit all all the things I wanted it to hit. So that is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I enjoyed this one very much too. I, I It didn't stay with me quite as much as I expected it to. Um, mm. I read this in May, I want to say, and I thought it was going to be one of my top favorites of the year yeah. as well. And it, it just didn't quite stay in my head as, as much as I yeah. felt it would as I was reading it. But um, yeah. But yes, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed lots and lots of things about it. And I really liked that it's it deals with some pretty dark stuff, but it doesn't yeah. write them in a dark way. Right. So it's just, yeah. it doesn't downplay them or, or trivialize yeah. them. It just doesn't write it in a way that lingers on it. So yeah, um, yeah I enjoyed it. All right. What's your final one? Okay. The last book is Deep Water by Patricia Highsmith. And I just told you yesterday <laughs> that I felt naked without a classic book on this uh -huh. list because I always do. And then I was going through my books and I realized I did have one and I was so happy. Hey. And especially because it's Patricia Highsmith. She's one of my absolute favorite authors. Um, I read this for a book club and I probably shouldn't have because I had a lot of other books to read, but... <laughs> I'm not complaining. I loved it. Uh, it's about a couple named Mick and Melinda Van, uh, Melinda Van Allen who have a very unconventional marriage. She has relationships with uh, sort of traveling men who come through town. They're, they're sometimes uh, people who are staying for a short amount of time or it could be a new someone who's new to town but they're always someone who's who's new. And Vic just turns a blind eye, blind eye to this. He doesn't want to go through the messiness of a divorce. And he doesn't love Melinda. They just, they're a very strange couple. But the entire, and this has worked for a while, but then the, they also know that the entire town knows what's going on. And Vic's annoyance about that and sort of his quirks that you are not aware of at the beginning of the book start to uh, slowly appear. Uh, more and more often and so he starts to just not be okay with the situation anymore and he starts to think about ways that he can get rid of these men that Melinda is seeing so it's basically just all mounting claustrophobia in the way that uh, Patricia Highsmith does perfectly and uh, there's the suburban malaise that that happens when uh, married couples hate each other <laughs> uh, <laughs> And just all the tension that comes with that, both between the marriage and uh, Vic's state of mind. And he's just a really odd character anyway. He collects snails and he wants to hang out with Melinda and her boyfriends, even though they he knows that they want him to leave. He takes mm -hmm. really great pleasure in sticking around at the house. And so it's just, it's a weird, weird book, but I loved it. And I, I love Patricia Highsmith and I loved it. And that is Deep Water. Well, I'm glad you were able to find a classic that was in your top 10. Yes, so very sneakily. <laughs> All right, my last one, and this is my absolute favorite book that I read this year. Me? I do have one favorite, and that is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. This is historical fiction, and it is exactly the kind of immersive historical fiction that I adore, where it's, it's a pretty hefty book I think five six hundred pages something like that but it's 
it needs to be that long because you need to just sort of be enveloped in the world with the characters, all of that stuff. This book is primarily about Marion Graves, who is born in 1914 and who dedicates her life to being a pilot and eventually disappears on a flight where she is attempting to circumnavigate the globe from uh, the North Pole to the South Pole, vice versa, I don't remember. And then there's also a current day story where Hadley is an actress who is cast in a movie about Marion's life. Hadley has just had a bit of a scandal in her life, so becomes deeply interested in learning about Marion and what happened to her and how she ended up disappearing, just learning all about her life. So the structure of the book works really well because as the story is unfolding and as Hadley is learning more about Marion, you as a reader are learning more about Marion. And what I love about these kinds of books is that you just, every single character is so fully developed and has their own unique identity. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. <laughs> and so as you're reading, it's like you become invested just as much in the side characters as you do in the main characters. So Marion has a twin brother who is a huge part of her life as they're growing up. And then they, as they become adults, they go separate ways. But you learn about what happens to her brother and the path his life takes. And then there's a man in Marion's life that kind of comes in and out of her life that you learn about what path his life takes. So it's not just that single person of Marion. You're learning about all these other people that surrounded her as well. I just loved it. I just was so absorbed by it. I finished it and was sort of like, what do I read next that is going to live up to this book for me? And it's very much in the vein of what I like. Like I said, it's historical fiction, which not everybody will love, but I just loved it. I just, just loved it. Um, It also, I think, has some interesting things to say, much like Carrie Soto and The Crane Wife and some of these other books about women and society's expectations about women and women with ambition and what that looks like, um, especially historically. So I just thought there was a lot to this book that I really loved. Um, I think if you like books like The Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolles or Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert, this this one would be right up your alley. So that is Great Circle by Maggie Shipsmith. I think that's one that I am not necessarily super drawn to but not not yeah. drawn to but you're yeah. but definitely that I know you had just a great yeah uh, you were sort of chasing the feeling of reading this book yeah. afterward and so it made yeah. me want to read it more well what's interesting is I think part of it expectations play a huge role in how I think about a book mm-hmm. too and I remember somebody that I I think that's on our committee had started this last year and said they couldn't get into it and so they set it aside So I never even tried to read it last year when it came out because I thought, oh, that's unfortunate. Like I was looking forward to that book. And then through various things I was working on, it came across my radar again. And I was reading some reviews of it. And I thought, wait, this really sounds like a book I would like. I'm going to I'm going to go back and pick this up. And so I did. And I just obviously ended up loving it. I love those experiences. They're so fun. 
I know. All right. So that's our top 10 favorite books of the year. And we will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I am reading Look Closer by David Ellis. And if you're looking for a very breezy thriller um, at this time of year where you have a lot of activities going on, then this is your book. I read most of it on a plane coming back from Christmas and the hours just flew by for me. It's completely engrossing and it's very uh, fast paced. So I loved it. Uh, it's about a married couple named Simon and Vicky and they have a good life together. He is a law professor and she's, a, uh, I think, a social worker. Now I'm second guessing that, but I think so. And they live in the um, childhood home that Simon grew up in in suburban Chicago. And they unfortunately both know that the spark has gone from their marriage. Um, there's sort of questions of whether it was actually ever there, but they, it's not there now. And they both are keeping some secrets from each other. Vicky um, had or came from a rough childhood in western, um, or sorry, in rural West Virginia, and ran away at 17. And Simon doesn't even know her full history and how she survived that experience. And Simon is sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum where he also had a troubled family life, but um, it came from having the, from his parents having a very complicated marriage. Um, and he's the son of two lawyers and there's just a lot of strange things that happened in the marriage. So they, um, yeah, they, they get along fine, but it's, it's, they have some things in common, but they're they're very different too. So one um, of the bright spots that that Simon remembers from his teenage years was a relationship that he had with a young woman at his father's law firm um, named Lauren, who was just a couple of years older than he was. And they had a bad breakup, but she he considers her to be his only true love besides Vicky. So one day he is walking um, in the in the current time he's walking in downtown Chicago and he sees Lauren and they haven't spoken in years. And he sort of manufactures a reason to run into her. And then they start an affair, even though he does love Vicky, but he sees this as his chance to finally have a passionate relationship um, that he has, has been missing through in his marriage. So I'm going to stop there because I don't, I don't want to go into details, but there are also things that are going on with Vicky that she's keeping from Simon. Mm -hmm. And the novel becomes the alternating plot chapter thing that that um, is just all lies and cons within the marriage and it's uh, something that isn't a new premise um, marriage mm -hmm. secrets are sort of the bread and butter of the uh, psychological suspense genre but mm -hmm. it still has managed to keep me riveted and the the twists are actually happening constantly so it's not just at the end of the book there's always some reveal that you're like mm -hmm. wait oh that's not what I thought this was so it's uh, pretty perfect if you're on an airplane or on a beach and you need something to keep your attention. So I'm very anxious to finish this because I only have about uh, 75 pages left. And that is a hard place to be when you're reading a, um, a thriller and you just want to keep reading it. So I, uh, yeah. What I'm reading is Georgie All Along by Kate Claiborne. And this is an author that I've read in the past that I really liked. And this is about Georgie who has just lost her job as a personal assistant to a famous actress, not because she didn't do her job well, but because the actress has decided to take a break uh, from the rich and famous actress life. And so she doesn't need a personal assistant. And so Georgie returns to her hometown, kind of out of sorts, but deciding just to take a breath, uh, figure out what to do next, regroup, you know, just 
settle in uh, for a little bit to, to see where she goes from here. And uh, her best friend from high school or from her childhood is about to have a baby. So it's also a good opportunity to go back to her hometown and help her friend as she is preparing to have this baby. And one of the first days she's home, she goes to help this best friend clear out a room that's full of storage stuff. And she finds the journal that she kept when she was a tween teenager age younger girl and in the journal young Georgie used to imagine all these scenarios of what life was going to be like in the future so mostly near future high school that sort of thing but it was clear that she had plans for herself she was going to do all these fun things that that she had in mind and so a lot of them revolved around this guy that she had this huge crush on. His name was Evan. Georgie looks at this journal and thinks, wow, there was a time where I really knew what I wanted out of life. Like, even though it was, I was a teenager, it was about high school, but I, I clearly had these visions of what I wanted and I don't feel like I have that anymore. So she decides she's going to use this journal as sort of a guide that she's going to do some of these things. And hopefully it'll be like a bucket list thing. She'll do all these different activities and hopefully that will help give her a direction. And her parents are on vacation. So she's able to go back and stay at their house during this time uh, while they're off on vacation. But the very first night she's there, lo and behold, some guy shows up and says, oh, your parents told me I could stay here while my house is being remodeled. <laughs> and it is the older brother of the guy she had a huge crush on in high school. And the older brother is the black sheep of the family who's always getting in trouble when they were younger. And so Georgie kind of didn't really even notice him. She was so obsessed with his brother. So that's, that's kind of where I am. It's very cute so far. What I'm liking the most at this point is the emphasis on Georgie realizing that she's just kind of gone along in life and and now is a good time to stop and think about what she really wants next. So that is Georgie All Along by Kate Claiborne. All right, and let's go back and we will list off all the books we talked about as our favorites of 2020. So many books. I know. Okay, I talked about The Ballad of Perilous Graves by Alex Jennings, Babel by R.F. Kwong, Book Lovers by Emily Henry, The Woman in the Library by Solari Gentile, Mika in Real Life by Emiko Jean, Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Alicia Thompson, Small Angels by Lauren Owen, The It Girl by Ruth Ware, The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood, Deep Water by Patricia Highsmith, and what I'm reading this week is Look Closer by David Ellis. All right, and I talked about Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. The Verifiers by Jane Peck, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman, Transcendent Kingdom by Yad Jossi, The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser, All My Rage by Saba Tahir, Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, and what I was reading this week is Georgie All Along by Kate Claiborne. So we would love to hear what your favorite books of 2022 were. Uh, again, you don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily need to be published in 2022, just that you read them. So please reach out to us. You can reach us at 
our email, which is wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. You can also give us ideas. We're thinking about upcoming episode ideas. So if you have any suggestions on a topic you'd like us to cover, please let us know. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. It really helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading and happy new year.